Welcome to Aqua Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, uh, recording from my office uh, at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, where I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice, and uh, Aqua Farm is brought to you by said College of Pharmacy. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a new drug approval uh, from last week, and as typical fashion, uh, this drug was approved almost immediately after recording last week's podcast. Um, so, on September 13, 2018, the United States Food and Drug Administration approved Moxetumumab Pseudotox-TDFK. Brand name, Lamoxetie. Um, I think I'm going to call this the Pseudomonas Toxin Drug. That's a little easy to remember, but um, Moxetumumab Pseudotox. Um, so it was approved for hairy cell leukemia, basically in the third line setting. So for patients who had already progressed after two prior lines of treatment with at least one line being a purine analog. So just to one minute on hairy cell leukemia, hairy, hairy cell leukemia. this is an indolent leukemia, uh, it's a B cell, and you can guess what it looks like under the microscope from its name. Typical first line treatment is a purine analog, either cladribine for a week and then you're done, or pentastatin every two weeks for um, uh, six or 12 cycles, I can't remember it right now. Um, and both of those drugs are gonna create or produce very high complete response rates, and many patients will have no problem with their hairy cell leukemia the rest of their life, uh, because it's usually diagnosed in people around age 60. Um, so it responds very well, it's very indolent, but one that I think a lot of experts would say is not curable, uh, which fits with indolent malignancies like CLL or follicular lymphoma. Uh, second line treatments might include interferon uh, bemurafenib, as most of these are uh, BRAF mutation positive. Uh, so this would be a third line drug, and basically what this drug is, is part of a CD2 monoclonal antibody. So when we think of a monoclonal antibody, and the fact that this drug ends in MAB, moxetumumab, you might think it's a typical Y-shaped monoclonal antibody. And that Y shape, the top of the Ys are the, uh, the, the FV or the variable regions that would bind to the antigen. And then with the FC regimen at the bottom, the bottom of the Y, that would bind to your immune cells. Well, this is just one part of one of the twigs at the top of the Y, just one, um, one FV region of an antibody that's bound to part of a pseudomonas exotoxin. So the normal pseudomonas exotoxin uh, is it's a, a single strand protein and one think of one half of it is a binding part that's going to bind to uh, you know an animal cell wall and then the other half is going to be the toxins part of it uh, and so what uh, has happened is the toxin part has been taken off and connected to just one part of an antibody so it's a it's a smaller than a typical monoclonal antibody and the way that this works is it binds to CD22, uh, that's its target, which is expressed on B cells and B cell malignancies, and then internalized. And after it's internalized, the toxin portion is then transported through the cytosol uh, to the protein production structure, so into the Golgi apparatus, endothelial reticulum, where it results in, quote, ADP ribosylation of elongation factor two, which ends up stopping protein synthesis of the cell leading to apoptosis. Uh, so the dose, and this is only if and only if your creatinine clearance or the patient's creatinine clearance is less than 30 mils per minute, 0.04 milligrams per kilogram IV, 30 minute infusion, uh, every other day for three doses, so day one, three, and five. Uh, we, we're just gonna say, it's gonna be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 
of a 28-day cycle for six cycles max as tolerated or until disease progression. Now, that includes one liter of isotonic fluids pre and post, uh, and that can be D5W, a half normal normal saline, any isotonic fluid, uh, over, uh, one liter over two to four hours. Uh, so you're talking four to eight hours of fluid uh, total for one dose of this, uh, as well as the 30 minute infusion. So you're talking minimum you know, infusion chair time of four and a half to eight and a half hours. Uh, also, during the first eight days, low dose aspirin is recommended. Uh, other pre-medications include uh, acetaminophen, an H1 receptor antagonist, and a histamine 2 receptor antagonist. Uh, Post-infusion, you could consider, uh, you know, an antihistamine and acetaminophen for a while for uh, for fever, uh, as well as say four. The package here says four milligrams of dexamethasone uh, to prevent nausea. So. After hearing that this is a Pseudomonas exotoxin, you may be asking yourself, is this toxic? Is the Pseudomonas exotoxin drug toxic? Yeah, it's toxic. It's got boxed warnings for capillary leak syndrome and hemolytic uremic syndrome. Uh, capillary leak syndrome occurred in 34% of patients in the registry study. Uh, the good news, grade three and four capillary leak syndrome was only 1.6 and 2% respectively, usually occurring within the first eight days. Uh, and it, Patients should be, have their weight and blood pressure monitored for signs of capillary leak syndrome and then, of course, treated appropriately. Uh, so you're looking for signs of hemoconcentration, so uh, an increased hematocrit, increased white count leukocytosis, or increased platelets, as well as hypoalbuminemia, or a low albumin. Hemolytic uremic syndrome was also seen and classically presenting with the triad of microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. Uh, if somebody had micropathic hemolytic microangiopathic hemoglobinemia, you would see first and foremost a drop in their hemoglobin. On a peripheral smear, uh, you would see signs of hemolysis, a high LDH, low haptoglobin, uh, and schistocytes on a peripheral smear, which the physicians would be looking at. Uh, and this would not be, uh, this would be a Coombs negative hemolytic so it's not immune mediated. Um, so you'd have the microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, you would have a decrease in platelets, and then renal failure as well. Now this happened in about 7%, uh, grade three and four HUS or hemolytic uremic syndrome in three percent and 0.8 percent respectively. So not as common as capillary leak syndrome. Usually occurred during the first nine days, and this is the reason for the low dose aspirin is to prevent that microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. Uh, so low dose aspirin uh, was given to all patients in these studies if their platelets were above 100. Um, so those are the two scary uh, things we worry about with this drug. Um, there are some other things as well. So nephrotoxicity occurred in 26% with 2.3% having acute kidney injury. That numbers may be a little deceiving when we see some of the other statistics. Um, so these are the, I'm going through the, the warnings precaution section of the package insert right now. Um, so after nephrotoxicity infusion reactions, and this of course is the reason for the pre-meds with acetaminophen and the histamine one and two receptor antagonists. Infusion reactions happen in 50%. Uh, 11% of those were grade three reactions, and uh, corticosteroids, whether IV or oral, could be considered for those having infusion reactions that are serious prior to either restarting the drug or prior to the next dose. Uh, and there's also a, a warning for electrolyte abnormalities. Hypocalcemia occurred in 25% of patients. Uh, other abnormalities commonly seen were hypophosphatemia, hyponatremia, hypomagnesemia, and then the least common was a high uric acid or increased uric acid. 
Uh, other common side effects, 39% had peripheral edema of some kind, 96%, which you could round up to 100, I suppose, had an increase in the creatinine of some kind. So that's why I said that the nephrotoxicity rate of 26% may be a little misleading, suggests that most people are gonna have a transient bump in their creatinine um, that will correct with hydration. Um, and then AS, ALT and AST abnormalities occurred in 65 and 55% of patients respectively. So pretty toxic drug, so it better be worth it, right? Uh, well, so this is was a single arm study, a third line hairy cell, not gonna be a comparative arm study or a comparative study. So the, there was a 75% overall response rate and a complete response rate of 41%. I think there were 80 patients in this study. Uh, the median timed response was 5.7 months. And if you think about giving a drug every 28 days for six cycles, that's basically the median time to response was through all six cycles. Uh, the median duration of response was not reached in the pivotal clinical study and ranged from zero to 43 months, both of those with ongoing response. Um, and there was a phase one study published in JCO in 2012. And those who had a complete response, uh, just looking at the, um, the Kaplan-Meier curves, tended to maintain that response a little bit better and for a longer period of time than those when you look at the combination of complete response and partial response. But still, um, you know, you're looking at 24, 36 months patient, more than 50% of patients are maintaining their response. So it seems to have good efficacy, seems to have a good duration of response, which is, is reassuring for those uh, with hairy cell leukemia. Uh, so as I mentioned, Hairy cell only affects about a thousand patients a year in the U.S., so this is not a very common, um, very common uh, disease state, and we're talking third line use to this drug. So probably one that uh, most of us will not encounter um, on a regular basis, certainly in our oncology pharmacy careers. Um, but it's a it's kind of a cool drug, right? When when people ask me, uh, I get students ask me all the time, why oncology? As if somehow I'm crazy for choosing this career. Uh, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is the drugs are the coolest. Uh, why am I going to get excited about like the 37th ACE inhibitor that's been approved? I mean, this is a pretty cool drug, and this is not a new thing. This whole fusion toxin uh, drug has been around for the concept has been around for a long time and. Uh, there was a drug that's no longer on the market called, I think it's Denilukendiftotox, which, which was basically IL-2 combined to diphtheria toxin um, uh, for, for some, uh, some T-cell I remember one time during residency, the attending brought up using that and it didn't happen. Um, but as you, as you might expect from an IL-2 diphtheria toxin, conjugate, conjugate toxin as a drug, it was pretty toxic too, uh, although I had never seen that used. And uh, not sure I would ever see see this one used going forward, although it seems to be promising. Um, and you know, we'll see if this gets compared to say first line drugs uh, in the future uh, going down the line. Uh, so that's all I have for for this week is uh, discussing the Pseudomonas exotoxin drug. Um, thanks for listening. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNip, follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod, and find us uh, in the iTunes store where you can give us a five-star rating and review us, tell us what, what you'd like to hear more about. And until then, I hope to see you all a little further down the road.